Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Yes. And so what, uh, what I want to do today is, uh, Tim is not here. He said he has had enough of the heat and he has fled Memphis for, uh, for some for the beach with his family. And so we, uh, we hope he's getting some, some rest and relaxation there and uh, we, can, we can pray for him as he is away from us. And so what I would like to do today, hopefully this doesn't do anything, Mike, is uh, I wanted to briefly share uh, from the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Meryl read so well for us. Um, she volunteered. We, uh, our core family was having some popsicles at Michiokana, and it's like, oh, I don't think we have anybody to read. She's like, I'll read. Like, thank you. So if you want to know how those decisions are made, uh, they're usually Palata adjacent. Um, but we are, when Tim asked me to, to speak or to preach, he, you know, he said you can, you can preach on, you know, whatever you want, which is always scary. Uh, the Bible's a big book. And when he asked, he had been talking about faith, right? He had been in that, um, that section of, of, uh, of the year and going through the, uh, the subject of faith and what it looks like for us to live by faith. And so uh, what that did is that um, brought something to mind for me to and what it looks like for, for believers to live by faith and how that, how that how that looks for us. And so I wanted to draw our attention to the book of Galatians. It's, uh, it's a very interesting book. I don't know if it's one that we study a lot. Uh, most, the major topic of it is circumcision, probably not a topic that most of us have to really deal with on a daily basis anyway. Uh, most of our churches aren't confronted with this issue anymore. But uh, the book of Galatians is probably the first book written in the New Testament, right? When we arrange or when they arrange the scriptures, we have the gospels first because those tell the story of Jesus. And so we need to know who Jesus is, what he said, what he did. And that's going to inform the Christian of, or the non-Christian even, of who Jesus is and what he said and did. But for the early church, they don't have to read, right? They don't have necessarily a Bible like we have uh, because you have the disciples or apostles starting out of, um, their, you know, they leave Jerusalem, they have seen uh, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and they're starting to go out and they're starting to tell people about all, all of these things Jesus did, all the things that the resurrected Savior did. And they're mostly dealing with you know, they're mostly dealing with Jewish people, right? And so the gospel at the beginning is mostly for, for Jews, right? Paul says to the Jew first, then also to the Greek or the Gentile. And so their, their missions program uh, at the beginning, it seems very, you know, just focused uh, coming out of the Jewish religion. But uh, one of the things that they also have during that time is you don't need to write down all of the things that Jesus said and did, because if you want to know what did Jesus do, you just ask an apostle, 
right? The guy that was with them is right there, and so they can answer any of your questions. And so you don't, have, you don't need these things written down. And so the Gospels are going to be some of the last books written in the New Testament. But Galatians is probably the first one because Galatians is actually written, Paul is writing this, this letter to this church because this church has problems, and it has one of the first problems of the early church. Uh, the church here in Galatia is not a perfect church like we have here at the Avenue, right? So they haven't figured it all out yet. Luckily, we're there. So, but for them, these dummies way back when, uh, they still have to work through some issues. But we can learn, I think, through, uh, through some of their issues. And so that's what, uh, that's what I wanted to look at today. And so hopefully you're there in Galatians chapter 5. And so Paul is writing this letter because this church, Paul planted this church in Galatia, right? So Paul is going to be this missionary, and he goes, you know what? The gospel is not just for the Jewish people. The gospel is for everybody, the whole world, the whole world being Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. And so Paul starts evangelizing uh, to these people, and these Gentiles or non-Jews start coming into these churches. And these churches are made up of different people, different ethnicities, different, you know, backgrounds. And so then, and so when you start bringing people, even people that are the same, when you bring them together, you're going to have issues. When you bring people who are different, you're going to have issues, right? And so that's what this book is doing. It's addressing these issues because Paul starts his church. They're united in the gospel and Jesus Christ. But what they start doing is, you know, Paul leaves them. He plants the church, and then he goes and plants other churches. But the people that are there start getting, we'll say, infiltrated by a certain group of people. These are called Judaizers, is what we call them. But what they do is they say, yes, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but you know what? Jesus is like this Jewish Messiah, right? He's, he comes out of Israel. Um, and so what Jesus did is he's actually allow, he's yes, he's allowing Gentiles to come in, but you need to do some of the things that we do if you want to be part of us. And so these Judaizers say, for Jewish people, the covenant sign is circumcision. And so if you want to be part a real Christian, you need to be circumcised. And so, which is confusing because none of the Gentiles are. And so this is the issue. And so we might think, well, if Paul really cares, he can write a letter and he'll say, guys, just cool it with the circumcision stuff. You don't need to do that. You're, you don't need to add these things, right? There's all these rules. But Paul doesn't do that. He's not writing this nice, light letter. Paul is actually writing something really strong, right? And if you read the language in this book, he has really strong, some of the strongest language in the Bible is here in the book of Galatians. Paul is furious with this church because he doesn't see this as some kind of side issue. He sees this as a foundational issue. What they've done is they haven't just taken, right, we would talk about, especially in, in our churches, right, we talk about essentials and non-essentials, like what are things that make us Christian, and especially, in, I don't know if you know this, this is a, this is a Presbyterian church, you would never know, but uh, this type of Presbyterian church, we're like, well, I don't know, what, we can just kind of do whatever, right? 
Um, yes, there are some things that we follow, but the other things were, were cool, were cool. So is this a non-essential? And for Paul, he's saying no. What you're doing is you're changing the foundation. You're changing an essential. And so he has some really strong words for them. And so that's basically what this, uh, this book, this letter is about. What is the gospel and what do we, what do we do as believers, as Jews and Gentiles, what's required, you know, for, uh, for salvation. And so here in verse, or chapter five, this is why I like this chapter, because he kind of ties it together. And what he's going to do is he's going to make the case of like, you're doing things this way, and here's why it's the problem, and so then here's what you should be doing. And so let's look at, um, at what, we, uh, what we have here. We see in verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to yoke of slavery. Right? And so he, Paul is putting this, um, he had talked about uh, Abraham, right? Because Abraham is kind of where circumcision starts for these people. But now he's saying, you know what you're doing is you people, you church, uh, you have... If you remember the scriptures, right, God brought his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land and brought, you know, was bringing them to freedom and blessing in the promised land. That's what God did. But if you know that story, the Israelites, they see all these miraculous things that God did. They come across the Red Sea, you know, it's split in two. They cross on dry land. They're following a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, all this stuff, right? Miracle, 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 all this great stuff. They come out of Egypt, and they get hungry, and they start complaining. And this is, by the way, this is not the only time they complain. There's, you can look, look almost, most pages in the Old Testament, you can turn there, and people are complaining about something. And what they do, they say, we're hungry. And they don't just say, like, hey, Moses, you do us a favor. Can you reach out to God and see if he'll provide us some food, right? They don't do that. They say, I'm starving. You know what? I wish I was a slave again. They go way too far, right? They said, it's better that we were slaves in Egypt than starving and free. And Paul says, that's what you're trying to do. You are yearning or you're trying to go back to this yoke, this burden of slavery. And, and so we see that, um, and, we, and he's tying these two, these two ideas together, right? Because if you think about what the Israelites do, when they come out, uh, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, this is probably the best depiction of what's actually going on. So I highly recommend that documentary to you if you have time um, for this 4th of July weekend. But uh, as they come out into the Promised Land, Moses goes on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, to get the law of God, and the people do something else. The people build a golden calf. And you're like, all right, that's weird. Uh, because, but what they do is they don't say that this is some other God. What they do is they say, this is, this golden calf is Yahweh, the God that brought us out of Egypt. And so what they're doing is they're not coming up with this totally different God, but they're taking their God and putting a visual representation of their God there. And this is one, a common, a common theme throughout the Bible. People love we love stuff that we can see. We want a tangible thing to focus on, to worship, 
right? Because that's going to help us. We just love that stuff, right? The first sin, right? All the way back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, right? There's a fruit, the snake comes in, and he talks to Eve, right? And he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? And she says, no, we can't. We're not allowed to, we can't eat or touch this fruit, right? She changes the word of God, which is interesting, right? She adds on, she adds commands to what God really commanded. And then it says, and she looked and saw that the fruit was good for the eyes. So we, we love, people love stuff that we can see. The problem is, is we have a God we can't see, right? We have an invisible God. And our God is not like other gods. You want to worship the sun? We got the sun out there. You want to worship the moon? The moon's out there. You want to worship the river? You can see all those things. And they make idols. But God, are, you know, they have images, right? We want things that are going to help us to worship. And so they built a calf, a golden calf. So they're like, well, this is going to help us worship the God that brought us out of Egypt. But God, has already, God already has images that help worship him. We know, what's in the, we know what God's images are, right? We're told in Genesis chapter one, male and female, right? Humans are created in the image of God. And so the problem is, there's problems two things. One, they're making this thing that they can see, right? Because now, if I make something, I am above it, right? Because I'm the creator of it. So even though this idol is like helping me worship God, I'm actually more important than it. But what God does is he says, you think I'm like this? I'm like a golden calf? He says, no. Humans are going to be my representatives on earth. I don't have images, idols, of wood and stone and gold. I have living, breathing, talking, thinking images. And so they are minimizing through, their, through this who God is. Right? They think it's helping. It's not. It's actually diminishing their worship. And so that's what's happening here in Galatians as well, right? That God has done all of this work for them. But what they're doing is they're minimizing the work. They think, we're kind of helping God out, right? We all like to help God out a little bit, right? God, you've done so much. Hey, thank you. I've got it from here. Now I can do this. That's not, that, <laughs> that doesn't really impress God uh, that much when we try to help him. Uh, complete our salvation. And so that's what's going on here. And so Paul says this in verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's strong, right? He doesn't say like, listen, let bygones be bygones. It's no big deal. He's like, Christ is worthless if you do this. That's crazy, right? But notice he says, I, Paul, say to you, Paul's circumcised, right? He brags about it in other places. He's like, hey, listen, I'm the, best, I'm the best Jew that you know. I'm the greatest, right? And the apostles, all circumcised. Jesus, circumcised. He's saying this like, I'm one of you. But if whatever Paul's saying, if you think this is your way in, Jesus is worthless to you. And so, um, so we'll keep going on. In verse 3, I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obliged to keep the whole law. Here's the problem, right? We think we can pick and choose, or they thought they could pick and choose what they could do, 
right? Like, oh, we really like this because this is going to make us different than all the other nations, and it's so foundational to who we are. That's what the Jews are saying. And so we want this. But what Paul's saying is like, that's not how it's set up. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but there's more than one command. The command isn't be circumcised and then you're, you're cool with me. God doesn't say that, right? There's hundreds and there's hundreds of laws there. And Paul says, it's an all or nothing thing. If you're trying to do this, you got to do all of it. Because the way the law is set up is, you know, we have the Ten Commandments and we kind of know those, right? There's these moral laws. No idols, don't murder. Got it, got it, got it. We'll, we'll do that. Um, but we also have, you can't wear certain clothes. You can't, um, can't work on the Sabbath. You can't eat certain things. You have to worship on certain days. Uh, you can't sue certain people. You can't take debts from certain people. There's all these other laws there. And Paul is saying you can't start splitting off things you do because in that same book where we get the laws, it says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. And that's like, that's nice. It says, but if you don't do this, then you're cursed. And so Paul is saying, Jesus came to do all of this stuff, right? The whole point of the Old Testament is Israel's failure to obey. They, God set up the standard and they failed. Jesus comes in and, and does it. Jesus says, Israel couldn't do it, I'm going to do it. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to represent Israel. And so, and so we would think, well, Jesus perfectly obeyed. He should get all of these blessings. But you know what? He doesn't. He dies on a cross, which is actually a curse. And so Galatians in another part says, Jesus became a curse for us. So he does all of these perfect things, so he should only get blessing, but actually takes on himself the curses of the law. And so what Paul's saying here is like, why do you want to bring back all these things? You don't think that Jesus did enough? You're wanting to put yourself back in that position. You read the Old Testament scriptures. People fail. Nobody's done it. But you think, you know what? I bet I could do it. Right? That's what you're doing. You can't just pick and choose. Right? They're trying to create this almost this new religion. And Paul says that's not how Christianity works, right? You're making Christ worthless in this, right? He says in verse four, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, right? So what this does, when you try, Galatians, to be circumcised in order to complete, we'll say complete your salvation, right? You wanna be saved? Here's what Jesus did, believe that and be circumcised. When you try to do that, you're actually severing yourself from Christ. And so when you try to justify yourself by the law or trust in your own work, what you're doing, he says, is you're severing yourself from Christ and falling from grace. I grew up in uh, Southern Baptist Church, the one true church, and, um, and we, talked, we talked a lot about like, losing salvation, right? Uh, Southern Baptists don't believe that. You know, it says, they, we, they would say, once saved, always saved. And so you can't fall from grace, is what, what I would hear a lot. But when we talk about falling from grace, usually we think, oh, it's losing salvation. But that's not what Paul is talking about. We get this phrase from here. But falling from grace 
is actually understanding what grace is and then trying to manage it by your own effort, by your own works. And so that's what it means to, to really, biblically, fall from grace. And that's what this church is doing. They're not necessarily turning their back on uh, the Christian religion or something like that. They're thinking Christ has got us here and our own effort is going to complete it, right? They think that, uh, like the analogy that I like to use is like when you're learning how to ride a bike, maybe you, uh, you ride around on training wheels for a, a while and then somebody, you know, then it's that day, you know, you take the training wheels off. It's like, all right, here we go. But you don't just start, you don't have, you know, if you're a kid or an adult that doesn't know how to ride a bike, you don't just start from stop, right? You don't start with nothing. Somebody helps you, they put you up, and they get you momentum, and then once you get the momentum, then you go. And that's how a lot of us kind of view, or many people, view Christianity. It's like, Jesus gets us, he puts us up, we take our training wheels off, I don't know what that is, Sunday school, BBS, I don't know. Whatever training wheels are, the metaphor is just being destroyed right now. But you get up on the bike, Jesus gives us a push, he gives us the momentum, and now we go. And now it's up to us, stay up, and thank you, Jesus, for the push, and now we're good to go. That's not Christianity, right? And that's not exactly how it works. Because what happens is not just a neutral thing. When we try to do things uh, in our own power, it actually, without Christ, it actually harms us. It's something that actually works against us and our salvation. Right? It's like if we started pedaling backwards and then just started steering, right? We're actually doing worse by trying harder. And so that's what Paul is warning against. And so we see here uh, in verse 5 then, right? So we have all this bad news. So hopefully everybody feels semi-depressed. That's where I want you to be. Uh, <laughs> but for, though, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, right? We've talked about faith. Tim has talked about faith, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? That's where we are. Whatever this faith is, this faith or trust in Jesus is essential and foundational for the believer, right? We need this. And it's through the Spirit, right? And so you have, Paul is putting these two things apart from one another, right? You've got uh, works of the law and flesh, um, and those things are bad, uh, falling away from grace. But on the opposite side, you get faith through the Spirit in grace, and we have hope waiting for us, right? Uh, these things. And so these two ideas are, are opposed to one another. And so, and he says, uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Right, so we can, Paul, so we might think, well, Paul's saying, like, don't be circumcised. That's actually not true, right? Paul's circumcised. He actually, there's, if you know Timothy, he's got some books mentioned in him, first two of them at least that we know of. Uh, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, who is not circumcised, to be circumcised. So Paul sometimes recommends it for ministry. So it's not the action that's the issue. Right? What Paul is doing is saying, saying, what do you think this is accomplishing? For Paul, he says, hey, Timothy, need you to get circumcised because I need you to be a witness to Jew and Gentile, and that's going to hang some people up. 
and this is going to be a minor-ish thing that we can do that's going to help your ministry. I don't know. It's all perspective, right? I don't know if it's minor. He's a, kind of grown up. But, but, that's, but Paul's not saying you need to do this to complete your salvation, right? It's what the problem is, the perspective of the emphasis that they're placing on this. And so um, they're thinking that they're justified by grace through faith, but they're sanctified by their works. And that's not how uh, Christianity operates. And so, uh, because what we're doing is we think that Jesus came and died, and he did all of these things for us, and there's all these great and incredible things, and we're thankful for it. But now I've got it from here, right? And we fall into this a lot. We think, okay, I need to now do these things in order to either get God's favor or keep God's favor. And that's where we end up a lot. And Paul uh, has some things to say about this, right? I think of, this is a terrible analogy, I'm sorry. But uh, I do love terrible analogies. But it's like if somebody, if, uh, let's say you've got this very wealthy friend, right? And they're, they've got a wedding and they've invited you to it. And they're like, hey, listen, and you know, like, they're going to spare no expense. It's going to be awesome. They're going to have everything thought of. It's going to be incredible. You get the RSVP. You know, you get the, like, hey, what do you want to eat? And there's, like, six options. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you can pick six. And so, you know, uh, you're trying to figure out what the most expensive thing is so you can, like, take advantage of that. And so you RSVP, and you're very excited. This wedding, you know it's going to be incredible. And then on the way to the wedding, you're like, well, you know what? I'm gonna stop by the gas station, I'm gonna pick up a hot dog and some Cool Ranch Doritos, and I'll take those. And then you get there and you're like, hey listen, this is awesome, love it, thank you for the invitation, but I wanted to help you out. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have my hot dog and Doritos, which are fine, which are good. Uh, I'm gonna have those uh, because I want, I don't wanna put you out, right? I know you've done all this stuff, but I don't wanna put you out. I just wanna show that I thank you and so I brought my own stuff. And so how does that feel, right? We're, we, it's already been paid for. We already got the stuff. Like, we're this there to enjoy. And, we're like, and now we're trying to bring something to help this person out, right? We're going to make the wedding better. You know, now it's not doing that, right? They're, they're not going to see it as like, oh, that's so nice. That's so thoughtful. That's not, it's not a thoughtful thing, right? It's an insult. And that's what's happening here. They haven't just, when they take, try to do these things by their works, they're not just saying like, they're not showing God like, hey God, got it from here, I can do it, I don't, I don't need your help, you go focus on somebody else. Go focus on, you know, Michael Johnson, the real centers over there, right, I got it from here, right? That's not what's happening. What you're doing is you're saying, God, I don't need you, and it's an insult to the one throwing the banquet for you, thinking of you in it, that's already been paid for. Right? And so that's where they are, and that's where we get a lot too. And so what do we do? What do we need to do? One, we need to recognize our needs and desires and temptations. We need to be real and honest with ourselves first, I think. Right? Um, not, you know, if you're meeting with a pastor or somebody and, you, you know, you've got to give some answers and you just kind of give light platter she's like yeah I'm struggling or you know I would, I would just like 
you know, for it to cool off another 10 degrees. That's what's really on my heart. Like, you know, not maybe so. I mean, I'm sure that some of that's true, but what are the real things? Like you need to be honest with yourself because we need to think, what do we want from God? Because that's really what we want from God, the real things in our hearts, right? What do we want? Do we want assurance? Do we want deliverance? Do we want peace? Do we want health? Do we want money? Like some, some of the things may be true and good. Some of them may just be, I don't know, they might not be the right things, but they are the real things. And we need to be honest with what we really want and understand that God can, give, God can do all those things. He can give us whatever we want, right? Whether it's right or wrong, honestly. And so, but we need to be honest with him above all. And so then, what do we think we need to do to get those things, right? So it's like, I really want this. God can give it to me. How do I get it? And so some of the ways we do that, maybe we, you know, we pray, but maybe it's like, all right, I got to be good, you know, nice to my neighbor, nice to my family, uh, nice to my spouse. I've got to, I don't know, come to church, do some stuff. All right, we start, we very quickly get into this like karma mode where it's like, I do some good things. Um, then God's like, ah, I did make a good choice picking him or her. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'll give you that blessing now, right? We get in that mindset a lot. And we want, because we love physical, tangible things, right? I, we want to point to, I prayed this many times. I read my Bible this many times. I talked to so-and-so. I've done this and this and this. So, God should do this and this and this. He, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you haven't done enough. You, thank you for all the work you've done. I can help you out from here. You know, now I can start adding my stuff. And now maybe you'll love me enough to give me what I really want. And we get into that a lot. And so what we do is, and sometimes we, it makes us feel like we have to try harder, right? If you've ever gotten a car stuck in like sand or mud, I definitely have. Uh, you know, if you've done it, you know what not to do. Don't push the gas pedal down harder, <laughs> right? It just, you just get deeper. Right? The harder you try, the faster you go, the more the wheels dig, the further down you go, and it's going to be a bigger issue trying to get out. And so that happens a lot too. So the work that we do doesn't just, it's not just a neutral thing, but the, our hard work can often make things worse, is what I'm saying. And so how do we know if we're doing the right thing or what to do? Well, Paul talks about fruit, right? He talks about things um, there are products, right? It's, nothing's neutral. There are, we produce things. Uh, he says this. So like, we'll read the bad things first, right? Um, in verse 19, there's these works of the flesh, right? And so if you're doing all these things, here's what's going to happen. There's sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery. We're like, okay, cool. I'm good there. I haven't been to a sorcerer in years, right? So like, we're good. Uh, we always like to pick those, like we pick the, the big ones. We're like, oh, yeah, these guys were messed up. You know, I have it. Yeah, we're, we're good on sorcerers here. But, um, but then he goes, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, divisions, envy. Ugh. 
right? For Paul, especially talking to the Galatians, the, he, there's these, inter, it's all interpersonal, right? This church is like dividing and he's got, the church has issues. And so that's what they're seeing. They're seeing all these things and he's like, you know why? It's not because, it's because of what these works are producing. And so you can look, hopefully, at your life, if you're objective, but probably not. You may need other people to look at your life and say, what's coming out? You know, what's coming out of however I think it's working? And so then what do we do, right? We remember what Christ has done. Has he done all the work, some of the work, none of the work? We can't say none of the work because we're here in church, right? So we know that's not the answer. <laughs> but is it all or some? I think he did it all, right? We sing about it. He paid it all. So Jesus, is something lacking in what he's done? If not, then that's what we look to, right? We, we're talking about faith and trust. Do we trust? Do we really believe that Jesus has done everything that we need to do? That if we want to be in a good relationship with the Father, Jesus did all that. He's already provided that. He, God the Father isn't sitting up there waiting for us to clean ourselves off from the guilt and shame of whatever we've done and then go to him, right? He's there. He's always been there. The way has already been paved. It's already been cleared. Jesus has done all that. It's just there. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up, right? It's offensive in a way to think, oh, I've got to do all of these things before my good and loving Father approves of me. He already does. And it's not because of how good you are. Um, and so what do we do? One, we need, we need to be united with God in prayer, right? We pray and pray sincerely and honestly. What do you really want? Do you, I mean, do you want, I don't know, like a nice fancy car? Do you really want that? Pray and tell God that's what you want. He already knows, you know? You can't just like, it's not church, like prayer request time. It's like, well, you know. Mom's not feeling well, so if you could do that. You don't even think about mom not feeling well ever, right? It's not, that's not the time for that. When you're praying, just pray for what you really want and be honest with them. Uh, he already knows. And so we, all of this stuff, like living by faith is all about union, right? We are being secure in our union with Christ and being united with him. And so we're, if we're united with Christ, we're united with the Father in the way that we continue that relationship is through prayer. And then we're united to Christ in the body through the Spirit, right? And which is how all of this works, right? And we see, right, we saw those works of the law, but we see fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Remember, we like things we can quantify. I did this and this and this and this. Can you quantify love and joy and peace? doesn't really work like that, right? He says, that's why he says, against such things there is no law. You can't quantify this type of fruit. What the Spirit does is not something, right? It's not like that fruit that Adam and Eve ate. It's not a tangible thing that you can grab onto. It's this kind of intangible thing, but we see it, and it's something that affects other people, right? This love, I mean, there is this stuff now, right? There's self-love and self-peace, and so, like that's kind of there. That's probably not what's going on here, right? These fruit are there for us. It's for interpersonal relationships. And so others can validate what they see in us. That's why we're all 
here in the body of Christ. Um, and so we can, in a sense, judge others, right? Sometimes we want to skip to like, we don't judge anybody. Paul's judging the Galatians. He's writing a very strongly worded letter to them condemning them. Paul is judging their actions because he says, I have the power and ability to do that and the, I need to do that as your brother in Christ. And so for us, hopefully we can ask, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in me? Because if the fruit's not there, that might mean that we're relying on our own works and our own effort. And so um, we want to hopefully trust and understand that the Spirit is the foundation of all of this. This is not something self-reliant in us that we can churn up through our own effort. And so if you are not a believer, if you came here um, and you don't know Jesus and you're tired, hopefully you are, you're supposed to be. Uh, you can't do it. And so we just want to tell you that Jesus came um, to die for you and he's the savior. He's done all the work and if you put your trust in him, that's, that's it. Now uh, you can trust in his work instead of your own work. Uh, if you are a believer who's struggling here, God's not looking for perfect people, right? Um, he's not looking for perfection, but he wants increased trust in him, right? He uses good things and bad things, usually bad things, unfortunately, for believers. Um, but he uses those things to increase our faith, right? How much, if we're feeling good about ourselves, that's not a, actually a good place for a Christian to be. If we're thinking like, I think, I think I'm good, we look around, but it's, man, I've really got Jesus, and Jesus really has me. That's where we want to be, right? Where, where we are relying on him. And then for other believers, uh, we need to find ways, hopefully, to bear one another's burdens. How can we help each other, right? Because these fruits, these gifts are not just for, our, they're not for ourselves, they're for other people. Um, how can we repent of our own self-reliance? I really tried to do this on my own, and I'm tired. Usually it takes us just like tiring ourselves out, right? We have these dogs, and usually we just want them to be tired so they can be lazy and chill. And so you just want to wear them out, and then wear them out, then they're good. And sometimes that's what God does to us. He lets us go till we wear ourselves out, and then he's like, we good? And then we come in. Um, and so we're uh, in the same way we have that as well. But we want to remember all of these things. And so as we uh, are about to take uh, communion together, I think it's a good, a good thing to reflect on. Uh, we reflect on first uh, what we were before Jesus came into our lives, but we reflect also on the work that he's done, that uh, the fruit, uh, the juice, and the bread remind us of the body and blood of the work that he did on the cross, that it was for everything, uh, that he paid all of that for us, and it's not our own effort that keeps us in his good graces, but he's done all the work for us and has promised to provide us with everything that we need uh, in our daily lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son and his work, uh, that we would trust it as we often forget it, and so that we need to repeat this good news to ourselves. Father, we thank you for your spirit, for the indwelling of your spirit in our hearts and our lives to change us and to motivate us and to empower us to be a different people on earth, 
Uh, and Father, I ask now that as we take the bread and the cup together, you would help us to, to worship, enjoy you, and see the beauty of the banquet uh, that you have set out before us. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.